you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. Yes, it is. Time, time, time is on my side. Yes, it is. One more time, 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 time is on my side. We're going to take our time tonight. We go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr. Stone Gossip. Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast and this is sadly the last episode of 2021 believe it or not we have lived through another calendar year in this show (laughs) it has felt like it has been a long calendar year but haven't all of these years felt like they've been pretty long (laughs) it's been that decade so far so we go into 2022 fresh and the way that we're doing it is to finish off our hometown series that we've been doing all year and we've been saving this one today we're going to do one that a lot of people are familiar with it's the showbox show from 2002 this one was immortalized on dvd they were doing a lot of dvds at this time they did that and then right afterwards they did live at the garden so a lot of people were able to see live pearl jam in a different way that maybe they didn't have before then. So, why don't we just get into it? It's the last show of the year. Let's celebrate. It's Christmas time. Let's do our thing. Randy Sobel over here. John Furrow over there. Hello, hello. Yo, this is kind of funny, because the the first thing that I think of now that I think about this show, because actually, the first time I ever watched this show, do you know where I was? Ooh, um, in middle school. I was in your basement. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right i forgot about that yeah 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 no that was yeah that was great i think you and your wife were going on vacation down here you were going to be visiting some some friends and stuff and and yeah stopped by and we ended up i think we ended up doing like a live stream watching this if i remember yeah correctly. we did we did like a facebook live or something and yeah you had never seen this before so i this was the one that i pulled out i was like oh yeah you gotta see it it's a great performance 
but you were hiding something from me that I didn't know even really existed that I really would have rather watched. And that is the 1995 Vitalogy Asia documentary Mm -hmm. that I, that's that's the one that once you mention something, I'm like, oh, turn this shit off. I we we gotta watch we gotta watch that. Yes, yeah, yeah, we need to yeah. watch that. But we watched this for a while and we kind of skipped around through a bunch of songs. And I just remember, I think there were specific moments in this that you were like, okay, we we need to watch this, and there were very specific things that we needed to see. And obviously, look, that that that's prime territory for any Pearl Jam fan in 2002, 2003 when Riot Act is first coming out. And a lot of people are obviously going through the tour circuits and they're going to do a lot of shows on the Red Act Tour in, in 2003. But I think that this DVD and the Live at the Garden DVD helped. But having this sort of as another visual for Pearl Jam and on, I guess, less of a scale, it, it's professional, but it's also doesn't seem all that professional. It's not like there's all these different camera cuts and changes and things like that. It, it's pretty, uh, you know, it, it's pretty amateur professional, I would say, but it's still pretty decent quality. But it's exactly what you would think the quality would be for a show of 500 people or so. Yeah, you're not getting like a big stage show, a big production value. The reason you you get this is to see them like in their element in that small place where the music and the performance can shine through and it's not a lot of bells and whistles on it. They want you to be able to feel what it was like to see them in that small place. So you tell us when you first got the DVD, when you first yeah. kind of witnessed this, what was uh, what was it like to to see them and know that they had been playing in amphitheaters, that they had yeah. been playing hockey and basketball arenas and beyond? What was it like to see them back in a place like this, something that they hadn't done in maybe a decade? Yeah, I mean, the the only time I had seen them at this point was at that Atlanta 98 show. And like, like you said, like one of those big open air amphitheaters where, you know, you're half a mile away and they're half a mile away from each other on stage and you're just kind of like not an active participant at the show you're more like a spectator but this really you got to see a lot of like the little intangible things that go on like the looks between band members you get to see how matt was interacting with them how you know this is one of the first boom performances like we get to see boom in action like we had heard about that like oh they they found this dude who's going to play keyboards. What's that going to be like? And just the intensity of Ed comes through. There's a couple of moments in this that we'll get to that people already are screaming at me. But it's just the intensity of being in a small place. And like we say, you know, he feeds off that connection with the audience and being close up and, and their energy. And like he needs that to elevate the performance. And they really get to to where he needs to be. And with this, the audience is right there. The crowd's right there. You, you see the front row. You see people right up close and personal. So, yeah, it was just – I'm just jealousy probably was the first one. And then just, yeah, how cool is this? Like, you know, I would love to see this someday and still, still would. It set a really good precedent for – what was to come in the rest of the year. I feel like these two shows, and then we actually did a show that was 2002, not long ago, you know, a couple of months yeah. ago that we did that 2002 show. And, and there are some similarities here because you have like right off the bat that they both have very long slow burns. They have stretches in both shows where they play nothing but like five ride act songs in a row and maybe the same five. If I'm not mistaken, it was pretty similar in format, but it kind of brought you in and and told you, all right, this is what this era is going to be. We're going to get stuff like Bush League or we're going to get stuff there. They're not 
they're not jovial in this at all. They become jovial, but it's it's kind of the mood is a little bit tense very early on in this. And you know, I, I think it's just the sense of the time period, and I think it's just the sense of like mm-hmm. maybe this they had like a a house of blue show in chicago that stone didn't even he he wasn't there for he was somewhere else which is just a weird weird story in pearl jam's history but it it happened but they hadn't played a lot of these songs especially the the older ones yet and you're able to to tell when you hear some of them in, in this version but yet 2003 i think they were always a lot more comfortable and felt more comfortable as time went on, especially the, that second leg of the U S tour that it just felt like they were connecting with the crowd and they were telling stories and things were going on. But you know, in this it's, it's interesting. This is just, it's almost like a different time period than where they would be. I mean, and they hadn't really played in two years. And at that point that was an eternity. And the last time they did play, things weren't all that positive. Things yeah. weren't all that good. They were they were going through some stuff. They didn't know that they would be a band again. They ended up playing the 2001 Bridge School shows, and they came back kind of no one was sure really what they were going to end up doing for that. And then this is kind of your first foray into what would be the new era and, and maybe starting a completely different era from what those would be in the past. And, and a lot of that could be due to the way that you visualize this and the way that you see Ed with a shaved head. And I think a lot of people immediately think to this era when they think of Ed with without long hair. That's neither here nor there, but I think that's one of the determining factors in how this gets tied into history a little bit. Because you could just pinpoint when you can you could see a clip and, and know exactly, okay, that is 2002, 2003, yeah. just by seeing Ed. And again, you know, when we've done a few of these 2003, 2002 shows, and it's like, you you kind of have to put yourself back in that mindset of like real soon after 9-11, Iraq war, like it's just a different time. Things were very, very tense and they reflected that in, in their performances because that's what they do. Yeah. And sometimes they do it better than anybody else. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's a lot of what we're going to get into today. Any feelings about this being the last hometown show? And it looks like we've hit pretty much every good Seattle show that there is. I'm sure that there are wow. others yeah. out there. I mean, night, oh, sure. night one of, of this little series, yeah, we can end up doing that at some point in the future. But like, what would you, you think of the series that we did this year? And it was kind oh, yeah. of our homage to the 30 years of Pearl Jam. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. And I we, we, we'd hit on a couple before. And like, this just makes me want to go see them in, in Seattle even more. Like, I've never been to Seattle. I would love to go there and I would love to see Pearl Jam there. So... I'm hoping that maybe in 2022, if there are shows there, I will have an opportunity to do that. But yeah, it's just just whetted my appetite to go see them there. It would be really, 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 really special. Yeah, I think with all of what happened with the show box from the last couple of years, and especially from right. when the home shows happened, where you know the the Save the Show Box campaign was, was going on, and I, I believe they voted to keep it, but it's still, there needed, there was another hurdle to uh to climb over if i'm not mistaken but i i can see a world where they do what they did on this tour 
and they played a warm-up show at the show box for raising money for to keep the venue alive, raising money for local artists in, in the area, or even going back to homeless youth or something like that. So all that kind of ties into the hometown, and, and I think the whole series, we got to hit a lot of really, really important shows in that this year that it would have taken us longer to do without having the set placement of doing a Seattle show every single month. So, And if you want to go back, they're all in our archive. Anything from the Mirror Amphitheater show to Drop in the Park to 2000, 11-6-2000 to we pretty much hit all of the good piss bottle man shows uh the showbox show from 96 like we pretty much hit everything so all in our archives all fantastic stuff we are going to get into a great one today the way that we jump into the show let the show begin ed is coming out and serenading the crowd to a little rolling stone song time is on our side the crowd gets into it and they're singing along together it says we're going to take our time tonight and before we start we'd like to thank well, look at that. Steve Earl. Steve Earl was mentioned on the podcast last week because yep. he joined for Rocket in the Free World. So, hey. We've had a couple of these little coincidences, these little runs this year, too. Yep. And I don't know if that falls in the Colin Powell rule, but it's, <laughs> yeah. it's I mean, relevant is relevant. And I guess if, if it's our show relevant, it's relevant enough. So, all right. I mentioned before that there was a little bit of a slow burn to this show, and the way it's going to start is no one, two, three, four, two, three. I believe this is the same exact way that they started that show that we did. I guess that was from December 8th, 2002. Right. The next one after this, yeah. Yep. No one, two, three, four, two, three, but they go right into small town. just like and and i realized why i wasn't that into that opening stretch and it was probably due to the video that we had of it it was a wide angle and it didn't give us much facial reactions it didn't give you much of the crowd tension it was just kind of it was very bootleg and very there but in this however pretty much the same kind of version very tense kind of slow slow burn and and building to the big moments not even necessarily being a crowd responsive song even though they are giving them the lines i thought that this was definitely better than what we saw from a couple months ago and i think that's just because we get the reaction 
on stage and we get to sense what they're doing up there. And I think it's easier to take that in than it is to watch just a YouTube video that was filmed almost 20 years ago. Right. And it's it's just a different vibe, you know, Key Arena to Showbox. It's, even though the song is one of their biggest kind of sing-alongs, it still can be kind of a chameleon and, and you know, come up in different ways. This to me is like knowing the set list that we're going to get, like all of these ride act songs and all these debuts. I think this is kind of a weird choice because you think this is going to be like, oh, we're going to get like a big sing-along show. We're going to get some hits. This is not foreshadowing for the rest of the show here. But this opening, I think, you know, you mentioned he comes out, does the little Stones tease there. I think this first three, especially, especially the next one we're going to get to, sounds very Stones-ish, very kind of that folky acoustic sound that they dabbled in and even more than dabbled in. Just sounds just like that to me, like kind of late 60s Stones, I thought. You're on to something there. And I think we mentioned it when we did that 97 show, like yeah. what song would be the most Rolling Stones-ish sounding song. I think you're right. I think it is Off He Goes. I think mm-hmm. that's the one. Going back to your, your point, saying that Small Town opened the show and you didn't feel like you had any crowd moments from this night, like sing-along songs like that. I thought that this Small Town really wasn't much of a sing-along. He gives them the hello line but that's all that they really count for, you know, that you, you yeah. don't necessarily get the crowd interaction outside of that. Like you don't even hear him kind of pandering to them at the end or anything like that. I don't think the song has really become that quite yet, but still they're trying to kind of tap into a vibe here at the beginning. And, and I think it's really going to come through during filming my way where that's going to debut i think that these are all setting up for this yeah and and small town you know he's not going to play it up when there's 500 people there as opposed to when there's 20,000 or 50,000 you know like i said it's a different vibe to it and talked about small town like i said it's it's one of those chameleon songs where it can take on a number of different personalities but yeah i thought off he goes fantastic and then thumbing my way really brings it all together the debut, I thought the crowd recognizes it immediately. There's a real cheer of recognition where you, you get the feeling like, oh, they're telling them, okay, this crowd knows this record, they've heard it, and they're excited to hear these songs. And Thumbing My Way was just pin-droppingly perfect here. I thought it was one of the highlights. I have not been home since you left long ago
I think I go back to the way that man of the hour at Ben and Royal Hall was in the way that pin drop, you said it. Yeah. You can you can hear a pin drop during this and everybody was on edge, like visualizing it and kind of knowing where the song is coming from and that it's the first time they're playing this and there's going to be a lot of brand new tributes that come along within the Riot Act songs. And I think that this is kind of a subtle one in that I've always kind of attributed this to sort of an aftermath of Roskilde kind of thing. But yeah, everybody's on edge with this. And I think the first two are constructed so that thumbing my way could stick out. But the overall tone of this performance is just magnificent. It's really well done. You can feel the energy just frozen and everybody feeling the weight of significance of this performance. It was very, very good. Yeah, for a debut to be this good, it really tells you something about how they had worked up these songs and like just the strength of this album. I mean, you get, what, 10 Riot Act songs here? I mean, they're very close to getting the whole thing. This album, like, when it first came out, I did not like it, did not think it was up to par from the other ones, but this might even be like a top four, top five album for me right now. Yeah, I've grown with it. I've definitely grown with it throughout the years, too. And I think more so of it being a good album, I think it's just, I think the songs have really grown. And maybe it's that getting them live and getting to hear them in a live atmosphere makes you appreciate them a little bit more. But Thumbing My Way was never in my top, but I I think that this has become a top three Riot Act song for me, absolutely. Thumbing My Way is kind of the highlight of this whole four-song slow burn, but off he goes as well. I thought that really, really good storytelling in it, and I think that's where the song plays to its strength is through its storytelling, and this is the best way to do it, kind of when it's a little bit more downtrodden, a little bit more folksy, and they kind of, the versions that come out now are a little bit more soaring and a little bit more upbeat progressive and and mike usually has kind of a fun solo in this it's kind of more soulful i thought that this is the kind of version of off he goes that is as close to the original as you can get on the live stage i think yeah they play it a lot more like you mentioned they play it on the front foot now it needs to be relaxed and it needs to be brought back and reined in a little bit and yeah i like this a lot Let's cut to Thin Air, which is the fourth song here. And you'll hear a lot in this show. It is it is not uncommon for Ed to just make a lyric flub and just say, I'll get it right next time, or I didn't know that one. But look, they haven't played these songs in X amount of years, X amount of time. They're not going to know these ones as much. And, and I don't even think Thin Air was really being played a whole lot at that time anyway. I think that that was sort of a one-off binaural that they weren't doing every single night. But it's building you into what you're going to get for the rest of the set, I think. And I, I think it's a good building block for that. And I'm not a huge fan of this song, but it does feel like you're getting a little bit more of an electric vibe from Mike. That was a nice feel for me because it feels like usually this is pretty standard acoustic. The thing that stood out to me on this one was Boom. This is one of Boom's first shows, and already he's on the piano here. He's adding some nice kind of tinkling piano through this thing. It sounded very good. What we're noticing with Boom in the last two weeks is that he seems to have more of an impact on songs that we didn't think he had an impact on originally. 
And I don't know if we just caught him at, at two different spots that, that worked for yeah. him in this, because this is obviously, I think he's out for every single song on the show, if I'm not mistaken. I think so, yeah. It's hard. It's hard to miss him. He's wearing like a yellow and orange striped shirt, or a yellow and brown striped shirt, or something like that. He's he's hard to miss anyway. But even though he's kind of tucked in the back, but but still, it's interesting because a lot of these songs going forward, he probably doesn't have much of a role in even now. Yeah, he was just kind of figuring it out. So a lot of the stuff you're getting, it would change over time. And like what they played something like thin air this is the look like the 21st performance they've only played mm-hmm. it one more time since then so not not a lot of chances but he's kind of found his wheelhouse you know what the big boom moments are going to be and i think he tends to kind of like fade into the background when when he doesn't have those big moments now right and especially that you know now we know of the presence of josh klinghoffer we don't know how much more of that we're going to see from Boom. I think Boom will have his old traditional classics, you know, the Crazy Marys of the world and some others that he, he really shines on. But I think we're it's going to be balanced a little bit more. I don't think that's a slight against Boom at all. I think that's just a, a how can we get Josh into these shows. So, But that's another conversation for another time. Let's actually kind of dive into, you know, now this is a set list. Now they're getting into what feels like a club show. And the first couple off the bat here, here, break or fall, green disease, corduroy, save you. I mean, they can you, you can go down the line. They don't take a break for a little while. But break or fall is kind of all that tension that was happening within the first four songs. Ed just lets out that big scream at the beginning, and it's out, and they're ready to go. of these songs in the beginning especially the new stuff there's still some tension in them and then they kind of build into what they're supposed to be and their best type of versions of these songs but break or fall right away is is just absolutely off the rails and it's great to see the heads bouncing up and up and down in the crowd uh, you know they're playing off the crowd with the cat the camera cuts and mike is doing some really crazy crazy fretboard slides in this and they're ready to go in this even though it, it's not going to be a set where energy is the key they do bring it on this song absolutely and yeah you mentioned you see just people pogoing up and down it's awesome the the, the one that hit me on this was matt has a fill I think right before the, maybe the last chorus that caught me off guard and sounded really, really good. Something different than he does on the record. And that really, that really hit. But yeah, after those first four, to get something like Break or Fall here, and like I mentioned, a bunch of Riot Act songs, a lot of binaural songs too. So cool to get Break or Fall here, not something you'd normally get at a show, but you're in that environment. They're playing for a small group of people. So yeah, bust it out. And it's one of those songs that's just pure energy all the way through. 
you know, seeing the direction that they would take after Breakerfall going into Green Disease and playing their second Riot Act song, and it's the third performance of Green Disease. I think they, they must have played it at that House of Blues show, but they're playing these in, in what would traditionally be spots for more of the opening sequence type songs, but it just felt like kind of what I was saying. Some of the Riot Act songs in this show needed a little bit of life. And I'm not saying that from an aspect of they were poor performances. I'm saying that I think they were still working through a lot of it. And I think Green Disease were was one of them that sounded like they didn't have their best version just yet. That it kind of, they needed to play a little bit more off of the riffs and the guitars weren't quite balanced out in the song. And there are three, there's, it's, it's another song that has three guitars on it. So of course the, there's going to be a trick to get it right live. But I don't think this one hit just as, as good as it does later in the tour. Maybe. Yeah, I, I, I didn't I didn't catch that. To me, it sounded I like the especially the little jam when Jeff is just vibing on that groove. It sounded really good. I thought that they really felt like they had it, but you know that that's the way it goes. But you know we're bearing the lead here. We got to get to. I mean, uh, Corduroy is great, but we got to talk about Save You. This is a fantastic version of Save You. I want to mention in Corduroy real quick. This is probably again a show that we can kind of skip Corduroy because you can tell it's been two years since they played it because. In the song, he's singing the lyric, haven't sung this song in a real long time. That's all you really need to know about it. It's not a bad version, It, but like I mentioned before, there's some tension in the beginning and there's some kind of weirdness in the beginning, but when they get to sort of the climactic moment, everything has changed, the song is able to break through and find its wheelhouse again. I think it happens with a lot of the songs here. I'm not going to mention it every time, but I thought Corduroy was definitely one of them. But yes, yeah, Save You, absolutely already noticing that Ed is just pouring with sweat, drenched in only seven songs in. And if he's already drenched before Save You, imagine during Save You what, what's going on. This is the first that really shows the personality of riot act and it feels like the band you can tell and maybe like in green disease like the band wasn't as as huddled together and and didn't look like they were they were jamming on it as much but like everybody once save you hit looked like this is the one that we wanted to highlight for this crowd this is the one that's going to stick around for the rest of this tour this is the one we feel most comfortable with yeah, it felt like everything kind of clicked on this. And Ed, just like you mentioned, just tears it apart. Stone has a really good, like, solo little lead thing. Jeff, again, I'll mention, like, just like in Green Disease, that when that little bass riff comes in on the little jam part, it sounds amazing. And then Mike at the end just takes his guitar and just smashes the hell out of it. You can tell that's, like, when he's feeling it, when he knows that there's some kind of energy in the room and some kind of energy on stage that he feels good enough to do that it really felt like a cathartic kind of a thing and that's the smashing the guitar was just the the exclamation point at the end of it oh yeah absolutely i think that kind of shows you where they were with how they felt about the energy of the song like like you mentioned and and ed screaming intensely at the end primal kind of you know 1993 1994-esque there's not a lot of songs that you can say that about that can bring you back to the verses, especially the verses era, because I think that he was doing that the most back then. But 
this is one of them and that's a compliment for everybody and it's just really well done and now it feels like the show can kick into a little bit more of a second gear it's loosened up while the some of the other stuff maybe corduroy they were like okay we haven't done it in a while you know this is one we want to get right obviously and maybe some of the earlier stuff it was just it, it took a little bit longer to get into it feels like the band is loose after save you it feels like they felt something during this and they're like okay now we're 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 here at the show and and we're we're ready to get some of this new stuff out there and and ready for it to sound good i think save you was the beginning of that There's kind of a moment after this where Ed kind of like, it's not really a band huddle, but Ed kind of takes a moment and like looks aside. And I, I don't know if he said something or if there was a look, but I think it was like, okay, we're going to keep going with these. Cause I don't know if we have the original set list for this, but you know, Save You is the beginning. You get five Riot Act songs in a row right here. Yeah. Like talked about. And this is the going to be another debut of Ghost. And I wonder if this was originally maybe not planned, but he was like, we're feeling it. We're doing, let's do Ghost. It's possible. I, I, and that's kind of a question that's, that's going to be lost to time here. Cause I don't think we have that information, but yeah, yeah no, you're, you're getting the debut of Ghost. And I think the, the first thing that I'm thinking about is, can they get this right? Mine is some okay like like let's find our way and i don't think that there was a lot of like jumping around and and that kind of vibe to it but yeah mike, mike has a good solo on this i, th- I thought yeah. you know and i don't know if you caught it but like ed did a little subtle leg lift when he sang the soap makes you taller line i don't know if you caught that i thought that that was kind of i don't know if he does that every time but yeah, yeah. no i can't i couldn't remember yeah but i'm I've got to give a shout out to, uh, we've talked about a lot in the last few weeks about Cameron's background vocals, sounded really good on this too. 
Yeah, wasn't doing it much at the time, but yeah, kind of a little right kind of back in, in there a little bit. But debut of a song that has only been played 21 times and would only yeah. be played, what, like, like 10 on the tour. They would almost never do it. So interesting that they just weren't feeling it. I, after a yeah, while, it's a complicated song. I mean, it's one of those, you know, you, they play it a couple of times, and maybe one, one time it got screwed up, and like after that, Ed just goes, "Nope, we, we don't have room for that." He's like, "We're not going to struggle through that one every night on this tour." Like, right? If they can't nail it, then put it on the back burner. Right, right, right. They actually take a moment after Ghost before Crop Duster I Am Mine to actually address the crowd, and Ed wants to address somebody that made it there from Chile and said that's the whole idea from this tour that we'll never have to leave seattle everyone can just come here hats off to the guy coming all this way he probably had to check his shoes at 10 different airports that was uh, pretty relevant at the time because that was still yep. pretty new oh yeah so that, that had to been mentioned and he said we'll probably get down to chile in about ooh, 12 to 15 years it took three so yeah, it wouldn't take that long no, that will get you into Crop Duster and also get you in I Am Mind after Crop Duster. Crop Duster's never been one of my favorites off a of ride act, but I'm always ready to kind of get into the ending and hear how the ending progresses. And I think that's, to me, the sell of the song is how it's going to build to get to that moment. I thought it was a good showcase for it, though. Yes, very good. And I think it's helped by being in this group, like Ghost and Crop Duster back to back, I think is really good. Right, if they were split apart, if they were just kind of seen as highlights on their own, yeah, I don't I don't think that they would have been able now to... You, yeah, now you get those and you're like, oh, it's, they never play these, but like, right, it's still like a new one, yeah. Done for the rarity, then it needed to be done for the showcase aspect. And I think the crowd knows at the time that I Am Mine and Save You are the songs, and to get I Am Mine after Crop Duster, I think is the way to building to that moment to get to I Am Mine, and I Am Mine is usually very consistent in sets. It's interesting to see that they were so comfortable with this one at that time and that it would turn into what it did and that the other two would turn into what what they did as well. You know, I, I think that the tea leaves are kind of being planted here. Yeah, I Am Mine's interesting because, like, we talked about that Bridge School version, the, the debut, and, you know, kind of how powerful that was being so close to the, the genesis of it. But this one, I think it it didn't really hit with the small venue and everything. And it, it's more of an, like an, it, when it opens up, you needed the power of like a big arena or a big venue behind it to give it that extra oomph. And this one, I felt like it didn't have it. But it's interesting here with, you know, you're getting the, you know, save you through Lobo Captain. You're getting two, three, four, five, six on the record just in kind of a different order. So all side A, right? Yeah. So that kind of like maybe gives it a little more spotlight there because you're kind of leading up to it. But in that case, then, you know, Love Boat Captain is the cleanup hitter here. This is maybe the best performance on this night. To get into Love Boat Captain, Ed noticed that people had made some noise for Boom and, and says you guys have acknowledged him. He doesn't have clams beneath his hands. This is our, our Love Boat Captain, Boom Gaspar. And really, that's probably the first real introduction to everybody in Boom. And not not just the, the people in the crowd there, but anybody that has bought this DVD. I believe it came out that May and was able to kind of witness him before witnessing them on tour in, in 2003. But yeah, okay, so Love Boat Captain, pretty impassioned version. Edge shrieking on a lot of those lines. I think that there's, there's a part in one of the choruses that he just 
he loses it and it feels like he has all this emotion and all this power running through him like we mentioned before the aspect of Roskilde coming in with a lot of these songs is going to impact the emotional performances here and the change of lyrics in this song the Lost Nine Friends I'm getting to know more and more every day I thought that that was a pretty impactful change side that like they haven't forgotten and they never did like they got to know those families and they stayed in touch with them and tried to make it right and they they've done the best they could but it's Ross Gilb it's 9-11 it's it's all that stuff just poured into the song this performance it really kind of took me aback and especially even the crowd in doing the little like love love like call and response thing at the end I thought that was really powerful yeah, you kind of take it for granted a little bit now because you kind of yeah. think that those moments are okay. But even even when you see it in, in a 2002 show, it's just like, all right, yeah, of course, that, that's just what they do in the song. But this is the third version, like you said. That's a lot more impactful than something way later down the line where, of course, you know what the call and response moment is going to be. Yeah. And that, I, I think I saw Jessica there in the front row doing it. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's hard to tell, but I think she okay. was there. I would not doubt it at all. If anybody else was there, maybe we'll look out for them on camera too. All right, so transitioning out of all the Riot Act songs, you're getting God's Dice, and that's going to bring you in through another Riot Act song in half full. God's Dice sounded really tight, even though like Ed seems like he's kind of looking down to either check lyrics, remember lyrics, and is late on some verses in this. I thought it was it was a good transitional performance to break up kind of the Riot Act stuff and, and to give you another one of the binaural songs, like you said, that they were playing earlier, and bringing you into Half Full, which obviously the highlight of Half Full is always going to be Mike, but more so than the solo on Half Full, the highlight is Mike strumming at the end of it and looking at him and looking how intense he is and getting right to the top of the stage and just ripping through it. That's Mike's big performance from the night, I think. And yeah, he just, just oh, he just goes nuts. Yeah. Especially like like I mentioned this the solo aspect. Mm -hmm. The solo wasn't the most powerful thing about that version. It was the ending and the strumming at the end. I, I, that that perplexes me because this is a bluesy palette for Mike to go crazy on. Yeah, and even for me I worked on to the the break that stone has like the little guitar break where he kind of like leads into that last part is just perfect like it could not be done better than that so props to stone there i thought that would be a half full another great performance from us
is transitioning into what is probably the biggest talking point out of this entire show, and that is Daughter. You can tell, you can look at Ed's face during Daughter that he knows he's he's kind of holding on to something. He's holding on to... Oh, yeah, to he's getting, to that, getting that angsty face going. Right, he's holding something back, and you transition into the tag territory, and it's just getting eerily quiet. And the shades go down, the bombs go down. We're used to getting a little crowd call and response in this part, like you mentioned before with with, with Love Boat Captain. You know, we're usually used to the hey, hey, that kind of thing, but we're not getting it. And it seems like that's the appropriate response for what's about to come. Not like anybody knew what was about to come, but holy fuck. Everything that needed to be said without necessarily being said was translated in this. And Ed is in some complete sort of trance in this. It's so weird because I don't think he's trying to make a connection with the crowd. 
He's not trying to make this a a sing along, even though everybody knows the lyrics to it. It's one of the. It's such a simplistic song to sing along to. War, what is it good for? Every everybody can follow along in that. I don't think he's trying to do it, but it just works. And then he's getting he's getting angrier. He's getting angrier as it progresses. Say it again. And then that builds to that big moment where all of it was just let out. Fuck me. Fuck you. No war. No reason to go to war. Wow. Is that Ed's angriest moment on stage? It could be. This is definitely one of the most intense performances he's ever done on stage. And you can even, you know, go back to 91, 92 on that. Like, he's going through some stuff here on stage. And it's, like you said, because like he starts doing it and the crowd picks up on it. And they're kind of like, oh, okay, this is this is kind of cool. Like, everybody knows the song, you know, absolutely nothing. Like, people, you hear kind of a few people having fun with it. And then then it starts to, to turn a little bit, and it gets a little more intense. And the more people in the crowd, are, it's, it kind of changes. And it's that moment when that first, when he goes, just goes, fuck. Like, the first fuck me, fuck war, that whole part. He's thrashing around a little bit. Yeah, it's that first one because he was like almost trying not to do that. Like he almost didn't want to like start with the F-bombs and like really let it go, but he just could not help himself. And he's like visibly shaking. It felt like you were watching Black Flag or something in like 1981. Like he he missed his calling as as an early 80s hardcore front man. But this is one of the ones that people still talk about. I mean, it's that's one of the best. And like this, this crowd is into it. It's the right crowd. You know, if you if you do something like this at, at Nassau Coliseum, it's not going to get the same response. But and he'll you know he he'll kind of like walk it back a little bit later, which is interesting. But he's fully in the moment here. Finish this off. The last shot is just the mic stand on the ground. And just lying there, the shot lays on it for a good five to ten seconds. And that's all you need to know about the remnants of what was on stage at that moment and what he left all out on there. Holy crap. Um, Everything that you need to know about this era in their history was told through that outburst. Two months later, the country would invade Iraq and Pearl Jam's trajectory as a band would completely change and this is just the progression to get into all that maybe ed was supposed to take a moment to to talk here but all he could say all he could muster out of that outside of it was just matt wrote this one leading into ur and it gets it gets funky stone sounds really good on this one and boom's got some nice organ sounds pumping in the background and then kind of getting a little crazy with that as well felt like a complete performance mike sounding great at the end and i think he kind of needed one to balance out the anger to give you a little bit more of a lighter feel and and it's it's in a way its own love song but i I think it counterbalanced what the tag of war was and what river mirror was going to end up being right after yeah it's interesting too because if you look at this on paper and you 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 don't think about the war tag you look at like okay they're going to run through all these riot act songs and then the end of the main set is going to be, you know, Daughter, You Are, Preview Mirror. And so Daughter is going to be like the big sing-along. It's going to get everybody back involved. And like, it's going to be the moment. But like, it was not that moment. Like, the, this this main set, it did not end like they expected it to end, I think. And we didn't even talk about like 
the way the band kind of picks up on his intensity and like it's very it's kind of different got a little bit more intensity even than the way like kind of stone and jeff and matt are playing and i think that kind of rubbed off on you are too like you see jeff and mike kind of kind of vibing a little bit like they're still kind of in that groove of like yeah shit got real so yeah they're still in it right here it's hard in the aftermath of all that to not build off of that energy yeah. to not and look i i think you are is a good example of trying to calm things down without having to not do that you know what i mean like if they yeah. were if they were to do one of the first four songs in that spot they would have a really hard time keeping it together let's put it that way yeah. but then, i don't, I don't think it was they, the spot for that i don't even think they were thinking it was going to need to be calmed down because you think daughter like oh, okay well I'm sure he probably didn't even know he was going to go off and do the do the war tag. Like, yeah, I'm I'm not yeah I'm not sure. Look, the usually unless it's like it's okay, which actually yeah. needs Ed to to grab a guitar. Unless it's something like that, he doesn't usually write it on the set list. So I'm not right. sure of what direction the band thought he was going in. I think they they were just kind of reacting. So yeah, maybe maybe it was all that. I, I it's, that's it's tough to gauge, but they. Look, the way that that they react to it is completely like professional musicians should, and it, it was it was great. It was it was perfect and made for uh, wonderful wonderful moments on on this on this DVD. This is where Ed right here kind of takes it back a little bit. This was very quick. I thought that this was going to end up happening a little bit later, but he says, I realized he got some friends in the military here tonight and I could apologize to them, but them not going to war is another reason why I don't want them to go to war. And the idea is we can have a conversation. We can keep getting better and better. And that's the hopeful idea. And it doesn't get much applause. And he addresses that. He's like, oh, okay, that didn't get much applause. I guess hope is the underdog here. That's all very interesting because bits and pieces of that come out later in 2003, but not a lot. I think by that point within, you know, the the, the months of June and, and July, I think he's, he's officially had it by that point and maybe even earlier on in April as well. But I think here he was still trying to see both sides of the coin on this and and knowing where he was coming from but also kind of understanding the other side and and trying to like you said like trying to have that conversation he usually says something like that but he abandoned that aspect after a while this is strange like you've you've just like picture yourself in this crowd like you've just seen this dude like lose his shit and now like one song later He's kind of like, oh, you know, like, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. But like, no, dude, like, own your shit, dude. Like, it's cool. We're we're with you. You're home. We got your back. Like, yeah, I would have been like, no, dude, come on. Like, you're good. Keep going. Like, own it. It, it felt kind of felt kind of weird to me. You have to think also at the time, too, that like they've always been political, but it hasn't had the kind of juice that this era is about to have. And there wasn't really like a, and now everything is divisive and now everything is one right. side of the fence or the other. And I think 2002, 2003 was really the beginning of all that. There was something yep. that set a precedent that had one way of thinking on one side, another way of thinking on the other side and uh, a middle ground that couldn't be reached. And I think that maybe he was still thinking that 
there was an idea that this middle ground could be achieved. And he'll come to realize very, very quickly that, that, that that's not the case. It just wasn't the case at this point. That once things got worse, they kept getting worse and worse and worse. And, and obviously, we know how he's going to end up reacting to that in places like Nassau Coliseum and other places where he would do the Bush leaguer thing and, and any other politically charged moment with a, a know your rights or a fortunate son that happened that year. That's it. It just happened. And I think he didn't expect that to come out of him because I don't think that people, it was still a sensitive topic. Now you can say something like that and like nobody cares. Nobody cares anymore. Of course you're going to say something like that. Of course you're angry. And of course you're on one side of the fence. I think back then it was more accepting to have some middle ground, if you know what I mean. Yeah, maybe. I think you still hoped that there could be a peaceful end to all of this. But yeah, it was was not to be. No. And yeah, you're right. It absolutely did. This few years, like the 2000 election and leading into that war, absolutely did set the stage for the political climate they have now. But that's a that's a whole other eight hour podcast. Seriously, yep. We don't have the time. We don't have the platform for it. So why don't we just talk about Rearview Mirror? Uh, I thought Ed's guitar with the Ebo, kind of the vibrating off of his strings there, almost gave it almost a Tom Morello sort of sound to it, which is not very common huh. from his guitar in, in versions of Rearview Mirror. It was just it had that kind of that sketchy sort of strumming that comes out of it. I, I like it. Just hey, the you, first you would thing. take that compliment in a second. Oh, absolutely. Uh, that is not. It, that's not an insult at all. I love Tom Morello. I know a lot of people, you know, have have their thoughts and feelings, but but no, I I, I love his style, and I thought that it brought something to what they were doing in in in, in this bridge. And and you know, Mike was kind of down on the ground trying to pull feedback from the amplifier, and it had sort of a noisy garage rock feel to it. You know, experimental without going too much off script. And then, of course, when the song needs to gather speed, it, it gathers speed. And, and it's watching Mike at the end reverberating once, uh, you know, just continuing to strum uh, like he does in half full. And then just seems like he's on a hot streak with that. And Ed chucks his guitar as he finishes and Jeff crow hops right over it. But what do you think of all of it? It's fine. Not like a standout mirror mirror. But again, that's the show. Like it's just like with Corduroy and again it's the same thing like you forget some of the words through your mirror just like you did in Corduroy like those songs aren't going to be the the big highlight here so yeah I thought it just it did its job very well not a bad version by any means but just didn't have a lot of the oomph that the, a lot of 2003 and later on like the 2005 version of that it was the beginning of, of getting ready for all and, that and hadn't, hadn't played it in probably two years two so. years yeah. I wouldn't put it past them yeah Okay, we're at the Encore now. Let's pause for station identification and just kind of talk to you about what's happening for the rest of the year, for the end of the year stuff. We, we mentioned that this is going to be the last official episode. And what I mean by official episode is that we're not going to cover an actual show for the rest of the year, but we will still have episodes coming through in this time slot next week we are going to have the official debut of hallucinogenic recipe which is our brand new mini series that is hosted by patrick bogle and brian horowitz 
and they'll go through and they'll talk about a lot of the bootleg collecting aspects and we'll do that you know we'll we'll probably release an episode of that like once once a month once every other month or something like that but just sort of give you something different give you something new and then the week after which would be the 29th we haven't really talked about it yet but there's a lot to kind of look back on 2021 in the aspect of what we've done on this show and the aspect of what Pearl Jam was able to do in 2021 so maybe we'll give you a little bit of that and maybe you know for a lot of people that were new to the show this year and kind of need a refresher maybe you missed an episode or two maybe we'll play some clips from some of those past episodes because I mean one of my ideas that I was thinking about we had mentioned sort of a hall of fame the the idea of having a hall of fame of these shows that that both of you and i gave gave 10 scores to Mm -hmm. so is there an idea there where we kind of induct these shows into the hall of fame almost because we have a couple of we have a actually more than a few more than a few yeah we did a lot of really good really good shows this year yeah yeah, I can see that. We, I, God, I'm counting one, two, three. I think there's ten. Four, five, six, seven, at least seven that we both gave tens to. So yeah, that's that's something. Yeah, that'd be fun. So yeah, maybe we'll maybe we'll do something like that. Like I think uh, this this time was kind of needed to dictate towards other things and getting the Christmas party together, which is happening tomorrow. If you're listening to this on Wednesday happening today, if you're listening to this on Thursday, please reach out. If you want to come to the party and need the zoom link, it'll be all over the place. I'm sure, but please reach out to, to us live on four lights podcast, gmail.com or on any of the social medias. If you want to come to the party and we are welcoming to absolutely everybody. It is the end of the year. It's our celebration. It's our gift to you guys for just being an awesome community. And, uh, you know, for anybody that's took part in the gift exchange, it'll be your opportunity to see everybody open up your gift and you open up somebody else's gift. It's going to be great. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much going to be the end of the year for us. And maybe we'll have one or two other Patreon things that, that that's going to happen this year, but not too much. Uh, and then once 2022 kind of kicks in, and maybe we'll get to that at the end of the episode, what we're going to do in 2022. But essentially, we're, we're going we're gonna to take requests for the first couple months. And uh, that's because we take requests because people are nice enough to contribute to the show and continue to contribute to the show. And that's what we do for all of our patrons that donate to either the Giga Leg or the Horizon Leg. Uh, head on over to patreon.com slash live on four legs or download the Patreon app and search for live on four legs if you want to contribute to the show and get the exclusive episodes. Listen to stuff like evolution episodes. Never know when a new one of those can be coming up. Listen to stuff like the brand new series that we have on the TV shows, the late night shows that, that we've been doing, the, the SNL performances and the VMA performances and things like that. And uh, some other stuff over there, too. Some other bonus content, bonus episodes, as well as Horizon profiles for all of our Horizon Leg members. So head on over to patreon.com slash live and four legs if you'd like to contribute. I think we are now officially can get back into the rock. The camera catches a small just slit of backstage space. And you see Ed, yeah. like you barely see it at first. You're, you're looking, you're like, what, what is, the, who is that? And then he kind of like just 
slightly turns to the camera, you're like, oh, that's the bush mask. Holy shit. <laughs> and it's just, it's really funny how it catches you off guard. I don't know if, if, if you saw it in the same, same way I saw it, but like just yeah. that, that shot just didn't quite look like somebody was wearing a mask at first, which is a little bit odd and creepy, but really funny at the same time. Yeah. He's just on the side of the stage waiting in the wings. Cause like, he's the last one to come out. He's going to be waiting for his big entrance with the, with the mask. Yeah. We, he hadn't quite gotten to the, the jacket yet, but we nope. got the mask here, but this is, yeah, this is debut of Bush League. How do they do it uncanny and immutable? This is such a happening tailpipe of a party. Like sugar, the guests are so refined. Confidence man, but why so beleaguered? He's not a leader, he's a Texas leader. Swinger for defense, got lucky with a strike. They keep drilling for fear, it makes the job simple. Born on third, thinks he got a triple. Blackout weaves its way through the city. Third and last debut of the night. A lot of the songs were debuted the prior night, or even some four, of them. Four I think. debuts. Four debuts. Don't forget, we got we got one more after this. It's not not a uh, riot song. Well, I'm not. Yeah, I'm thinking about the riot act song. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. But yeah, so this was again kind of a, a small precursor into what would become something way more intense way more theatrical this is just him wearing a mask and sort of dancing with the mask and then after a while you know he, he impales the mask on the mic stand because that's that's what you do to those things and he's directly singing some of the lines to it and then after a while he just he flicks the mask off the stand and onto the floor and and steps on it and i think lasts the whole entire performance with his foot on on the mask and i thought that was a sort of statement you know whether it was subtle or not and maybe his way to sort of take back what he said at the end of the set there that kind of took back what he said yeah. For, yeah, from this, the war deck. This was more in line with that. I felt like this is a, this would have been a good follow-up to that. Because, yeah, there's even a moment where he's, like, cradling it and he's he's not talking to the microphone, but you see he mouths the word. He goes, it's okay. Like, talking to the mouth, so it's kind of funny. Yeah, it's, but, yeah, theatrical, it would, it would become a, a whole thing in the next year. As far as, like, overall performance of it, I, I think in this version and seeing the visuals of it and, and like most versions where you see the visuals you kind of just forget where the song is going and they're able to kind of just extend it a little bit and kind of go off on it and I don't know if the visuals sort of cast the song aside a little I don't know if that if the song is, is harmed from that but it it's an interesting conversation I don't know how you feel about it but yeah it's like the Ed show at this point. It's like Ed and the Pearl Jams. Like people yeah. always kind of make that joke of like, oh, it's just about him and like the rest of the band doesn't matter, which is like obviously not true. But he's definitely taking center stage on this, and the rest of the band just kind of like they just kind of fade in the background. Like they're just like Stone's just doing his thing, watching. Like Mike's just over there doing his thing, watching. Like 
this isn't like a full band, like everyone firing on all cylinders kind of a song. It's just, it's just a different vibe. Right, right. And maybe the reason why they don't need to really bring it back anymore, because where... It would be, it'd be interesting to do that, to get it without the theatrics and just, just play the song. Get it as a re- regular song? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. be interesting. Yeah, there would need to be some kind of pull to it, and yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I just don't know. I don't know how they would do it. It's a question that's been asked to me before, and I've been puzzled on it every time, so we'll just move on from that fact instead of trying to come up with an answer to an equation we don't have the answer for. Ed says that the next one is going to go out to Jeff's parents. They're in the house tonight, and Jeff's dad loves places like this. He's the guy, if you watch the Alive video, that's floating on top of the crowd. And Ed says, I have some neighbors that are here, and if you bump into them, you can ask what it's like to live next to a communist. And I apologized for my three dogs shitting in their yard. Perhaps it could be a good souvenir for the guy from Chile. Brings you into a very, very intense and good performance of Insignificance. And I think this is another one that it's like midway through, beginning of the song, it's, it's, it's finding its way, finding the motion midway through. At the climactic moment, it sort of has this breakthrough, and Ed strums a little bit faster, raises his voice a little bit higher, and then able to explode. I think Matt has a lot to do with that as well. Just bring together just an enormous ending, the crowd jumping up and down. This was a very wild performance. of a song that can get the spotlight at a show like this and with a small crowd and it can really elevate and become something really really cool because i think insignificance kind of i don't know if they've ever played it at like a ballpark show but it feels like it's it's just not right for that it feels like it would kind of fall flat there like at a big arena show it i think it it's helped by the atmosphere and the venue and yeah, it's just, oh, it's really, really good and really, really special. I love this performance. I'm with you. Yeah, I, I can see that. I can see that, you know, just needing to feed off a crowd that's so compact and, and the energy is, is, is in there, especially off of a Bush Leaguer where I don't think the crowd, the crowd was just kind of reacting to the theatrics of it and it wasn't, you know, a, a performance that everybody was kind of in sync on, but you don't get performances of insignificance where the crowd 
is just all in tandem bouncing up and down. Like I don't even think in the binaural era it really had right. like I think that there were a performances few, that were not, really good. Not nearly as many. Yeah. There are performances of it that were really good, but I think that the crowd had a lot to do with this one standing out a lot more. And and I think you're right. I think that the if they did play this one in a ballpark, I think it would be a little odd. And I don't think like it filler. would get the it, response. It, it, it would be filler. It transition, right? It would just be a transition. Yeah. This yeah. is a highlight from yep. this. And with five binaural songs, that's 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 saying a lot that you could still utilize a song and have it have that much power in this era. And look, not a lot of these binaural songs would stick around. This would be one of them, and it would be one that they'd need later on this year. Better Man, I think, again, like starts off a little sluggish and finds its way its groove midway through and gets really intense towards the end and Ed with a pretty good improv on this I need you I want you kind of thing and and very good stuff but again another one of those that felt like it sort of caught up to itself and it could be the aspect of we haven't played it in a very long time kind of put itself together once they got into the middle of it and these songs are are starting to come together midway through and they aren't quite full on big performances. Yeah, this is another one that's a, it feels like it sticks out like a sore thumb, like with your corduroys and rear view mirrors and, and even daughter before the tag, you know, you're kind of like, this is coming off of all these right act songs. It sounds kind of weird. It just, it just feels like it's out of place. It didn't really, didn't really hit with me. Yeah, and I think also from the standpoint, they probably know at the time they're filming it, they're probably going to release it. Yeah. They need some of these. Yeah. So you have to think, like, I, you know, if they're not going to do Even Flow and Alive, they have to do Better Man, right? Like, yeah, it's, and they're not going to do Jeremy. Zero songs from 10. Uh, that, I mean, there might not be a show after this that has that. Yeah. There might not be. Look, Do the Evolution could be considered a hit too. And right afterwards, I, f- I felt like Do the Evolution kind of fits in more with this environment and this crowd. And I think we've talked yeah. about this being played in small clubs before and, you know, with the Crocodile Cafe in 1998, but pretty intense from the jump. And putting on Bill Gates' mask and he's doing some Bill Gates st- stunts and stuff like that. And that was a, that was the thing that he did in the tour prior on the binaural tour whenever he would do soon forget he would put on a a bill gates mask so that that idea started there and just turned into to george bush instead of bill gates but that mask is is still sticking around in this era for a little bit but this is a fun highlight i thought that this was good you know you're coming close to the end of your night this is probably your last big dramatic moment from the night and Ed's kind of changing some lyrics there and forget some lyrics and dancing when he puts on the Bill Gates man like yeah this is this is a really fun performance yeah it felt like you know seeing it in the kind of a, a small place like this it felt like you know you're watching Monkey Wrench or watching like single video theory because you're seeing them in this with this anima crowd and like being together and the song just has that tension and that power to it that it just explodes it sounds really good you know every time another really good stone solo here very melodic very fluid thought it played it very very well ed thanking everybody for coming out and paying their hard good money that he swears will go to good places and thanks the showbox and a couple other people and thanks steve earl and says happy birthday to somebody named taylor who was 12 years old so i guess taylor turned what like 
31. 30, yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, so happy birthday, Taylor. And the crowd erupts into thank you chants before getting into Ledbetter here, which you would think would be the end of your show. It would not be the end of the show, but I thought Ledbetter, usually when we're talking about Ledbetter, at least we're thinking like, okay, end of the show and your last little part of the night, but you're able to kind of put some emphasis on the performance of this a little bit more because you get, you know, Mike jammy and bluesy to, to start but then gets to turn loose a little bit in the middle and and i thought that that sounded really good some of the improvisations here midway through saying something like i saw you last november you know i, I think that's a precursor to some of the improvs that he would be doing in this song way later in this year where he would be singing more towards the post-war idealism Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's you think it's going to end your night, but it, it doesn't. And it, I, I think that kind of makes it more of a highlight that it doesn't end the night, that it's sort of sitting here and that they come back and they do more. It, uh, it gives Ledbetter a little extra weight. And we know this now, kind of like the meaning behind the song is like in the early 90s, like you had the Persian Gulf War, this story of the song is this guy coming back from war sees this an older couple gives them like this slew wave like they don't wait back because they he's like some younger like young dude they they don't think he respects anything like it's it's a, it's a generational thing about war about people kids going to war and yes it's absolutely ties in perfectly with this set like you said we're used to these kind of celebratory thanks filled you know big moments at the end of the show but this is not that like he starts he kind of starts with the changes that line to like you know forces that keep us down he's still thinking about stuff here and you mentioned improv like that whole second verse is basically improv where he's just going off on that same theme exploring that same thing about this country's about to go to war again so this song is going to be relevant and that's what's going to happen again and yeah it's it's very very good this is a really good kind of singular performance of yellow better. i thought it fit right in come back it'll really be ed that comes back 
that's got to feel special for the crowd, knowing that Ledbetter's played, and I'm sure there there are people that are probably like, all right, let's let's head out. And before getting to the door, hearing that Ed's coming back, they're like, oh shit, let's get let's get our place back in back in the crowd. But he's sticking around. He comes out with this pedal, and he has a cigarette uh, hanging from his mouth, and he says, the rest of the guys are done. But with no material left, I'm going to give you guys show you show you guys some of my early Christmas presents. Somebody gave me a giant size Morley pedal and didn't say who it was from, and then shows like a toy ukulele. He says uh, this another gift I got, and after that he's like he he's you know about to tee up soon. Forget because that's his ukulele song at the time, and kind of looks at a crowd. He's like, police yourselves. You know, telling them not to to go too crazy during a ukulele song, which, of course, is riddled with mistakes and and flubs because it's soon forget, and that's usually what happens during this. But it's not unusual for soon forget to get a couple of takes. Yeah, and that's kind of the charm of the song, right? Is I remember there's one that he has to like stop the crowd from clapping because it keeps fucking yeah. them up, and like, mm-hmm. but yeah, this one is. It's perfect for the moment. I think he's he shows off. You know, he got his new electric ukulele, and he's going to show it off. Uh, it yeah, looks like a toy. It does, like a little toy electric guitar. Yeah, but uh, it's just just fun. Like this show kind of has that vibe of like kind of kind of off the cuff. Like we're just kind of making shit up. Like even says like we're out of material. Like no, you have seven albums, <laughs> you got a couple and albums you need to do songs, but they practiced the Riot Act songs. They still knew some binaural songs, and you know they practiced. Small town, corduroy, rearview mirror, daughter, better man. Like they didn't bother learning any of the deep cuts from the early days for this show. That that'll come later. So yeah, they probably really didn't have anything else that they felt comfortable playing. That's fine, and I don't think they really at this point needed to do much more. They knew that they were going to do the last one. I think that's really what mattered. And Ed was probably just giving the band some time to just sit back yeah. and, and collect themselves after that and just sort of connect with the crowd. And like you mentioned, this is another Eddie in the Pearl Jam kind of moment. And 2003 would be not the first time that Ed would really have solo moments on stage, but it would start to become more frequent. Right. Uh, okay. This is a live on four legs first and maybe a live on four legs last. Don't believe in Christmas. I hung my stocking on the wall, I didn't get a pick it off Don't believe in Christmas I don't believe in Christmas I don't believe in Christmas Cause I didn't get nothing last year Well, I don't know, 99 see Santa Claus right showing up Don't you know the fourth boy didn't show Don't believe in Christmas I don't believe in Christmas I don't believe in Christmas Cause I didn't get nothing last year Well, I'm trying to get a little kiss from a pretty little she sat me down and said you took the whistle till it doesn't work Don't believe in Christmas I don't believe in Christmas I don't believe in Christmas Cause I didn't get nothing last year The reason why I kept this show out for so long I'm not doing it in chronological order because I, I don't like talking about non-Christmas stuff during September and August and, and other months so this was the best time to kind of close out the year for this to be the, the closing song and that it feels a little bit festive so 
This Christmas single was actually recorded, if I'm not mistaken, I think the night before they did it in Soundcheck and they recorded the version that they would use for the Christmas single that they would put out that year. That's right. And it's just, it's fun. It's a cover by a Seattle band called The Sonics that were in the, around the 60s. Uh, the song, I think, I think, was produced in 1965. And it's just this, you know, fun, high-energy, rockabilly kind of song. It has a very stereotypical rockabilly solo in it that feels like it could be literally anything from the late 50s, early 60s. Uh, and a boom has a very high energy solo on it too. That sounds really good, but oh, like, yeah. you don't get a lot of the Christmas stuff, and especially at the time, "Let Me Sleep" wasn't coming back and wasn't right. being played in shows. So this is one of their only kind of Christmas things that they've done on the live stage for a while. Yeah, this is this is cool, and I think this was the pull for the DVD as well. Like you're gonna get to see them play this song that they never played before, and they might never play again. I think they they did it a few nights later at, at Key Arena to close that show as well. But yeah, this is great. It's just fun. It's like one of those things where like yeah, we're not taking ourselves too seriously. The you mentioned the the boom solo is absolutely the highlight. And Edge just like hunched down reading lyrics because this song is very lyric heavy. Like there's a lot of stuff going on. Right. So Ed's like, you know, leaning down. He's got got his little piece of paper down there with the lyrics. He's reading it, which is fine. But yeah, the Sonics is one of those like seen as like one of those proto kind of grunge like garage bands from the 60s. They had a big like Sonics 50 compilation that came out, you know, on their the 50th anniversary that was a big deal and got them a lot more like notoriety and kind of a, a second chance for being very influential, which they were, especially in Seattle, you know, you know, the history, you know, they, from the Pearl Jam movie, that's like bands just didn't go up there, right. You would, you would go and then skip over and bands didn't come to Seattle. So for a band like that to play there, and it was for the, a lot of those kids growing up there, you know, your Mark arms and things like that. I'm sure, you know, Mark arm could talk your ear off about the Sonics. That's probably based his whole career on it. But yeah, I I think this is great. It's just it's fun. They, you know, they never do Santa God. They never do someday at Christmas. They never do some of that stuff. And this is just of the time. And you know, I wish I wish they would have kept it around. It's it's just fun. That was the set list. And now we got to go back and talk about three moments that we enjoyed from the set list. So, what do you think? Go first. Ooh, sure. I mean, this is this is tough because I'm gonna have to leave off one that I really really liked. I'm going to say uh, Thumbing My Way, number three, Love Boat Captain and, and, and Daughter are, are 1A and 1B. Take your pick. I mean, Save You gets the honorable mention there, but that, that's it for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm two out of your three right there, uh, and I can't think of anything that I want more than Thumbing My Way just to be different, even though Save You was very good. I have to give thumbing my way in insignificance kind of the two and the three there and uh daughter with the war tag is number one absolutely just good performances and and kind of fed into what the atmosphere was like i wanted i wanted to feel that vibe from this show what was going to work best from the crowd and obviously the angrier songs are, are gonna work the best it's gonna rile your crowd up a little bit more but even thumbing my way that's the one it's debuting for the first time everybody kind of knows the weight and significance of it and i think that one really especially for it being the debut it was just kind of spine dangling so those are my highlights from this 
for the last rating of 2021, what will you be giving this show? Yeah, this one's this was interesting because you know we did the the Clarkston show last week, and that was one that didn't have a lot of hits on it, and you know we kind of like promoted it as that, like oh you you don't like hits, here's a show for you, and here's another one where oh you you don't like the hits, here you go, here's a show. So I'm kind of like still in that same kind of mindset where I'm ready for this. But now I feel like I want to do a greatest hits show next week. I almost wish that we had one more show before the end of the year where we could get get back into some of that stuff. By the time we get back in January, I'm going to be missing the Jeremy's and the, you know, all the animals and the big crowd moment songs that we're going to get to. But for this, I, you know, there's there's a reason they made a DVD of it. This is a nine and a half. Very, very good. Yeah, I don't think that this is a 10 either. I'm going to give it a 9. I thought that some of the, the, the good stuff was very, very good and very, very memorable. But also, I think a lot of that rust was still coming off. And, you know, even with some of the new songs, felt like there was some sort of getting used to with it and just feeling out moments. Some of them really worked, like Thumbing My Way immediately and like Save You immediately. And some of them were a little bit tougher at the start, like green disease was a little bit tougher from this show. Maybe crop duster was a little bit more difficult, but at the end of the day, you don't get Pearl jam at this kind of venue. And like you said, they put this out on DVD for a reason. They, you know, were in a certain mindset at the show that, 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 that worked for it. And, and it kind of had its own tense personality to it. And uh, that's why I'm giving it a nine. So, those are our final scores of the year. This one did not make the Hall of Fame, so I don't know if this is coming back in our Hall of Fame episode, but uh, there are a bunch that, that that will, and I think that now that has to be a thing. I think we need to do the Hall of Fame, so maybe we will get to talk about some of those big moments that you mentioned, talk about a Jeremy or an animal or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, everybody, for uh, tuning in to this one and tuning in for the whole year. And like we mentioned, this is going to be the last full episode and we'll still put out Wednesday releases this year because I know that, you know, people will be driving for Christmas and people will want to have something to listen to at Christmas. But there's no lack of content over here on the archives on either Spotify or Apple or on our Patreon archives that you can listen to all the episodes over there. 2022 is coming very, very soon. And I feel like spoiling it a little bit. And I don't know. I think it's it's one of the comments that that we had recently was just like would would love to know some of and it was Curtis that said it it, it would love to know some of the shows ahead of time so we can listen to the bootleg. And I love that aspect. I love that way of thinking. So you can kind of bring your own thoughts and opinions to the to listening to this podcast before listening to us. And instead of doing the opposite where you're you're taking our opinions and then listening to a show and seeing if it matches up. I I, I just don't like looking at life that way. I think, you know, look at through at, at your own lens and, and then see where it measures up for you. But I, I think from that aspect, we can give you some teases into what we're doing for 2022. Do you want to do that? Or are you interested in teasing this crowd? Do it. They, they've waited. They've waited all year. Well, I hope that I, I have hoped they've waited all year for 2022 stuff. It's like, yeah, yeah, I know we're in July, but what are you doing next year? You guys like, I, yeah, you got some really yeah, great like, stuff. Like that's next year is next year is like the, the hope because like 
2020 was so bad and we thought that 2021 would be better. And then 2021 has been so bad. And now we're kind of, we're kind of getting that hope back. Like, okay, we, we're going to get shows announced in January. There's, There's going to be a tour in May. There's going to be a European tour. So we're, <sighs> people are kind of getting excited. So we hope now we don't know. But there's hope, but Omicron might say yeah. differently. You just we'll, never we'll know. We'll see. We'll see. But people are kind of look like kind of cautiously looking to the future again. So yeah, I think that's appropriate. Okay, so some of the things that we'll be doing, I think a lot of what's going to happen in both January and February is just playing catch up on a lot of requests that we've gotten. And I think what happens when you take, we're not going to have a full year theme like we did this year or we did the year before where we did uh, around the world and this year obviously being hometown we're not gonna and this is probably the first year we're not doing a full theme we're gonna do more monthly theme stuff i think it's just easier and it gives also a chance for the people from patreon that haven't had their requests brought to the table i think it's it it, it gets them their show quicker and so some I, we're jumping around eras we're going to be doing a little bit of 2005 to start and i think we're going to do uh, Toronto from 2005, Worcester from 2013, Indianapolis from 1998, Berlin from uh, 2009. Uh, it's good to do something out of the U.S. We've done a, a big We've run. We've done a of, lot of U.S. stuff. USA, Canada runs. Mm-hmm. So it'll be good to kind of get, get out again and, and see what the rest of the world was like. Well, one of our monthly themes that we're going to be doing is leading up to – the week of March 16th, since it was recorded on March 16th, a lot of you might know that date. You might not. It, it, the date might not be significant. However, there were significant shows since it is the 30th anniversary of 1992, which is really their their boom to fame. We're going to be covering a lot of their Holland stuff from the, the 92 run, from March of 92. The, you think about the Den Haag shows, the Utrecht show, oh, yeah. uh, the Rotterdam, like all those were really early, early great bootlegs. And having the guys that do the Hallucinogenic Recipe show can kind of give you their take and maybe kind of do a corresponding episode based off of that and and kind of well, give you some of I had that Den Haag tape. I listened I, to that thing nonstop. I'm sh- yeah, I'm sh- I'm sure that was one of the earliest ones. So yeah. we're going to do that. We're going to do some of those from Holland. We're going to build to finally get to, and I know a lot of you probably have wanted it, probably have asked for it, but we're finally going to get to Unplugged. And it's the 30th year anniversary, and I, I say the date, uh, 316, because it was recorded that day, but it wasn't the day that it was aired live on MTV. That didn't come until later in May. So we're going to take the actual day. I don't know if we'll cover that based off of the set list that they played that night or based off of what they did on TV. I think we're going to do it based off of what they played that night. Oh yeah. I think yeah, we have to go about how they played it. Yeah. Right. And then we'll, we'll mention how, you know, how they aired it on TV. People know. know. Right. It's not a big deal, but that'll be a thing. There's going to be a month full of vault shows, which are releases that are 10 club vault vinyl releases, whatever ones we haven't done yet. I think there's the Vegas 93 one that we haven't done Bellingham that we haven't done just some of those shows. I know a lot of you collectors out there probably have those. So if you're excited for those, that should interest you. And, you know, I, I know we mentioned doing kind of going across the globe again, doing some more global stuff. And our plan and our hope is to usually do one 
Australian show per year, which it doesn't seem like enough, but look, I think the Australian people need to come through and just be like, Hey, and, and we have a couple, we have a couple that have requested stuff. So it, it's coming and I don't know when it's coming, but we will have our one typical Australian show per year, our one South American show, but there should be more. Don't know if it's going to happen yet, but one of the things that is preventing it from happening is that we are going to do our forgotten state OTOTO state month. And that's going to feature states like Boise, Idaho from 2000, uh, Augusta, Maine from 1996. Shows that they've only played in once in a state, Casper, Wyoming in 95. That they only been to a state once, and you know those are those are some of the themes. We'll do some other things, and I think we're going to take an opportunity to maybe do some uh, some votes for shows for for people to vote for for what they want for what you guys want into to get to a show. We'll do some big you know elaborate vote system, and we'll air a show that way because we haven't done something like that in a while. So I think this is more opportunity, and again, a lot of this is gonna might might end up coming when they're going on tour. So. Uh, yeah, all that all that stuff is gonna happen, and we'll we'll keep the train going. And you know, we had a really good 2021. I really loved what we did this year, and I think 2022 should be just as successful, just as good. And uh, once again, I don't see much success coming out of this if it isn't from you guys listening at home and taking the time to uh to check this out and communicate with us that that you're loving what we're doing so thank you guys you guys have been the rock for this and uh this has just been fun all the way so hope you guys are enjoying this and enjoying it into next year I'm done out of adjectives onto the spiel. This may be the end. We're here for not for much longer although we may be parting ways. Miss you already. Miss you always. Hey, we had a good year this year. We had a couple shows. It wasn't much, but it was something. Come to the Christmas party tomorrow. Hope to see you there. If not, we'll see you next year. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, good night.